Are there any Adam Sandler movies you want to talk about? Oh, man. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That's my answer right there. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, make yourselves comfortable. I'm Kent Garrison. And I am Brian Gill. (laughs) You are listening to Mad About Movies. You sound insane. You like that? The whole world got crazy. It's showtime. Mad About Movies is a one-hour-long conversation concerning all things cinematic. First half of the show, we discuss movie news, movie rumors, movie rumblings, and talk about what is currently piquing our interest in Hollywood right now. For the second half of the show, we go over our chosen movie of the week and give you our opinions and review of it. As an added bonus, please stay tuned until the end of the show for our weekly recommends in which each of us gives you something that you need to check out ASAP. This week, we're focusing our efforts on one particular film. What is that film, Brian? Sam Raimi's Oz the Great and Powerful. Stairwell City, you are here at last, and the prophecy shall be fulfilled. This is my sister, Evanora. I'm here to serve you. The royal treasure of Oz. It belongs to you, but only after you defeat the Wicked Witch. Yep, uh, Oz the Great and Powerful. This is probably uh, the first most anticipated movie of the year. It's definitely not the first big budget movie of the year, uh, that yeah. being Jack the Giant Slayer. Uh, yeah. So um, First big hit of the year. Definitely the first big, sure. uh, big name of the year to come out. Yeah. Um, bef- definitely the first one that's been on the calendar for a couple of years that people have been circling. Uh, right. So uh, highly anticipated, and um, uh, we're going to see if it, it led up to the hype. Um, y'all stay tuned for that, though. Um, but first, we're going to go over a little bit of uh, movie rumors, movie news, and stuff that we are currently talking about in the world of cinema. Uh, Brian, do you have anything you want to mention before I mention my stuff? No, I'll, I'll let you uh, take the lead there. All right, well um, – Anyone that's a fan of Mad About Movies knows Brian and I are the Star Wars guys of this podcast. Yep. So there, luckily there's always Star Wars news. Um, you've mentioned uh, your love for The Rock many of the times on the, <laughs> on the show. Um, and so there's Star Wars Rock news, believe it or not. All uh, right. The Rock has said uh, that he wants to play a Jedi in the new movie. Um, <laughs> thoughts on that, Ryan? <laughs> the most ripped Jedi of all time? Yeah. Oh, man. I I I don't know about that. I I mean, I, I obviously, if I was the Rock, I would be saying that exact same thing right now. If I was any any sort of celebrity with any sort of of uh, of cred, I would be coming out right now and saying, "Hey, I I just want to be a Jedi or an Ewok or an anything in Star Wars." Um, so I <laughs> yeah. I get where he's coming from, but I feel like that would be that would be too much of a gimmick. Samuel Jackson was one thing, and especially since he actually played like a character that, I mean, that might have been the best character in any of the the prequels. But uh, yeah. his character actually had some sort of weight to it. I cannot imagine The Rock wearing an, an Obi Wan robe and wielding a lightsaber. I just, that's that's just crazy. <laughs> it's a great it visual. Funny. Like it's somebody needs visual, to make a, yeah. a uh, I don't know. Like SNL needs to do a sketch a sketch on that or something. But. Um, Man, that would be that would be pretty crazy. Um, he um, he said that the the things he grew up on as a kid was Star Wars and GI Joes, and he's already been in GI Joe. 
so all that's left is for him to, you know, conquer Star Wars. Yeah. Like the rock conquers everything. Yeah. So he um we we talked about when you talked about Snitch when you saw Snitch that uh yeah. the movie was being marketed as Dwayne Johnson. I yeah. have noticed that the G.I. Joe marketing is Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I <laughs> they guess it just use whatever the, works for the, the demographic, yeah. I guess it depends <laughs> on the film. Uh, yeah. yeah. So whatever whatever works, you know, for the okay. For the demographic um, is what they're going to push, I think. Uh, so that's that's funny news. I thought you'd yeah. find that funny. That's uh, hilarious. Yeah, I hope that doesn't happen. But again, if if I was, I mean, don't you agree? If you were if you were an important person, wouldn't you be coming out right now and saying, "I, I just want to play a Jedi or something"? Like it, anybody who's any sort of Star Wars fan, that's shouldn't they all be trying to push their way into the movie somehow right now? I mean, that's yeah. That's a, Seriously, who's going to say no to that? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I can imagine every star when they're being asked about Star Wars, I'm like, yeah, of course I want to be a Jedi. Right. Yeah, you know, that's just that's, a normal answer. Yeah, I uh, just want to be a Jedi in real life, let alone in sure. the movie. So you yeah. know, Samuel L. Jackson literally did though. When yeah, he, when he went up to George Lucas and's like, hey, I want to be a Jedi. Yeah, and I want a purple lightsaber. <laughs> and George Lucas did it. <laughs> Called him and was like, hey, you're in the movie. Yeah, you got a purple lightsaber, by the way. And that was the best decision that George Lucas made throughout the three. <laughs> it pre- was. Yeah. Also, the only good decision that he made. Uh, that's another conversation that we need to have. Uh, uh, but they're um, speaking of old Star Wars, the original cast has pretty much confirmed, as far as I know, the original cast being Harrison Ford, uh, Princess Leia, uh, Carrie Fisher, and Mark Hamill. I saw an interview yesterday with Harrison Ford that said, and he verbatim said. I'm excited. I'm, I can't. I'm looking forward to it. I think that was his direct quote. Yeah. So, it's happening. Yeah. Thoughts on that? I think that's the way to go. Um, I think we talked about Mark Hamill a few weeks ago, and I, I felt like that was the perfect way to get this thing started. Would be to set it, set this film, Episode Seven, thirty or forty years, uh, in the future from Return of the Jedi, and have. Hamill and Ford and Fisher and whoever else from that original cast reprise their role in sort of um, ancillary ways and and have them be background players to Han and Leia's kids or Luke's, I don't know, Jedi trainees or whatever, Um, rather than have the whole movie be about uh, Skywalker and, and Leia and Han and all those but just to but have them be a part of it, I think that's a, that's an important step in the uh, in this reboot, if you will, process. So, mm-hmm. and I, I think it's very interesting. I, I, you to know see. that there's going to be there's going to be C three PO and R two D two. Oh yeah, given yeah yeah they'll they'll be in it. And I saw uh, Billy D Williams was like trying to get like I was going to say that I was like why why has there not been a petition to get Lando and Chewbacca back? I Those think are just as important to me for, uh, for Lando. Yeah, I, we gotta have Chewbacca. Yeah, totally, totally. I think we're There's gonna no get no harm without Chewbacca. Yeah, I really I just want to see Chewbacca go. like in a gray, like all gray yeah. Wookie. You know, yeah. Chewbacca yeah. in his old age, or just lives with Han, just hangs out maybe, at his house, drinking maybe beer. Maybe even better slash worse would be to uh, to have like no, this is awful, but to have a uh, hand speaking fondly of Chewie, and then and then you just see like. His head is like mounted on the wall, or like his uh, his pelt is laid out on the ground like a yeah. rug, something like that. Like we yeah. just couldn't, you know, he passed away, but we just couldn't say goodbye, so we we had him stuffed. I can't, stuff I can't imagine them doing that. 
taxidermy. <laughs> It'd be such a weird, dark thing to do, but it would. It'd be kind of funny. But no, I, he's on my yeah. wall. <laughs> yeah, he crossed me one too many times. No, yeah. um, no, I, I, I think we're gonna get them all. I think we're gonna get all the main characters back in at least some sort of capacity. And like I said, I think the way to do it is to do it is to uh, have them be the background players, the supporting players to whatever main storyline they decide to go with. So I'm excited to see that, and I think it's really interesting to see how Harrison Ford has kind of come back around on being a a movie star again rather yeah. than an actor. Because I think 10 years ago, I don't think Harrison Ford would have done this, and I think he I, would have been incredulous about it. He's even. very humbled himself, really. Yeah, and he's in. Yeah, yeah, or he's to the in role of Indiana Jones. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but even like the he he went to Comic Con for uh, Cowboys and Aliens, and uh-huh. that was a big deal because he hadn't. I don't think he. I don't think he went for the the last Indiana Jones movie, but uh, he hadn't been in a long time. So it's very interesting to see his career really hasn't gone anywhere over the last ten or fifteen years, and uh, it's kind of interesting to see him turning back to his roots, if you will, and, yeah. and re-embracing uh, the fanboy and the, the roles that made him famous in the first place. So it's kind of interesting. Really, he's really embracing that. Uh, uh-huh. It's something that towards the late 90s, early 2000s, Harrison Ford kind of turned into a grumpy old man. You know, Definitely. It's like yeah. you wouldn't even – if I met Harrison Ford, I would have felt scared back then to uh-huh. mention Han Solo or right. their Indiana Jones. You know, you feel like if you mention uh, – yeah. Uh, Patriot Games or one of his random movies uh, right. that he did, or Clear, Clear and Present Danger, wasn't that uh, yeah. Harrison Ford? Yeah, that if you mentioned that, you would feel like he would actually carry on a conversation with you. Yeah. But now um, in the conversation, the interview that I saw where he was talking about Episode 7, he's just like, I'm just really blessed to have these roles. Um, <laughs> just, I mean, he's embra- he's really embraced it, and I think yeah. he's just kind of seen the impact that those two characters alone have had on people. Right. And um, – well, I'm, and I'm excited that he's excited. I mean, I would yeah. not want Harrison Ford to do it if he didn't want to do it. I'm sure oh, they're, you're offering him probably twenty million dollars to do it or something crazy, mm. but uh, even in a cameo. But he he um, he's excited, um, so that's all you can ask for from Harrison because yeah. he has the capability of you know carrying a film if he if he wants to. Right. Uh, looking forward to that. And is there any more Star Wars news? You any blurbs you've seen? Over the that's past a, few weeks, I think that's about all I've seen. I, you know, I, right after we finished our last uh, podcast a couple weeks ago, um, I saw that Carrie Fisher had said she was definitely going to be in it, and then it came out uh, maybe that was a that was more of a joke or a rumor or something like that. But I, I really do. I think we're going to get them all. So that's yeah. exciting. That's the hopefully way it should Han be. And, hopefully, Han and Leia are married. You think? Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. definitely. They'll married and they will have a kid. Yeah. Uh, I think that's that's. There's no way. I imagine. Any other way I imagine. I imagine. Uh, Leia Han being married, Luke being dead, and being the and Luke in the ghost passed, form. and being in the ghost form, yeah, and being the wise Jedi, or that maybe an old maybe for the first film he'll just be Obi Wan, he'll be that old guy, you know, yeah, he'll yeah. be there, but he'll he might die midway through, but he'll be he won't be a ghost the first movie, I don't yeah. I don't know, but I, I think that definitely Han and Leia are going to have a bigger role than Luke at this point, but that's just my prediction. It'll be um, interesting to see. For it'll sure. be interesting, yeah, um, but I'm glad. The Helmer is J.J. Abrams. Can't ask for more. Um, it's just so, so excited. So yeah. anytime we can mention that, I feel like we should. Um, also, I wanted to mention in movie news, there's um, the Bible miniseries is out. Have you been watching this? I haven't watched any of it, no. 
Have you heard anything about it? I've I've read some reviews. I've heard some people. Uh, I I don't know if our if I've said this to our viewers, but I I work for a church. Uh, so yeah, many of my Facebook um, friends and whatnot have have commented on the Bible miniseries. I I tend to stay away from any of that stuff and just uh, just accept that it's probably going to be pretty pretty bad. Um, but uh, you know, I, I do know a lot of people that are watching it. And I do. I think I know what you're about to talk about too. So, what? What are you, are you going to bring up? No, the uh... no, no. I know what you're about to say. I'm not going to bring that up. Uh, <laughs> I just wanted to bring up the fact that the Bible miniseries is out and it's doing well. I think. Yeah. And uh, so there's a lot. The Bible is for those of you who have not read the Bible, <laughs> and that's probably a lot of you out there. Yeah. Um, I've grown up reading the Bible for my whole life, mm-hmm. so I'm familiar with its tellings and stories, but there's some really great stories in there. Um, mm-hmm. Regardless of what you what you believe, you can't deny that these are some great some sure. great stories um, from a storytelling standpoint alone. Um, so that being said, there's a lot of movies coming out or on the pipeline uh, based on biblical properties um, in the Bible, one being yeah. – Darren Aronofsky's Noah, uh-huh. which is, I believe, in post production or just wrapped up. Yeah. Um, Russell Crowe, right? With Russell Crowe as Noah, right, and Anthony Hopkins as Methuselah. Yeah. Um, and a lot of stars in it. But um, so I'm really, really looking forward to that uh, because Darren, Ar- Darren Aronofsky is one of the great filmmakers of our times. Um, coming off Black Swan, it's going to be awesome. I love the fountain. I love the biblical aspect of that. Um, so if he can bring something like that to to Noah, I think um, that'll be good. So yeah. having said that, there are some other projects that are starting to um, details are starting to come out about. One being um, this is from Deadline. Um, Tom Hooper, Ang Lee, and David Fincher and Steven Spielberg are all eyeing like biblical properties. Um, okay, but. Um, Steven Spielberg has been flirting with the idea of this film called Gods and Kings for, with Warner Brothers. Uh, it's about the life of Moses. Okay. Uh, he's been circling this for a long time. Um, the um, It's written by Adam Cooper slash Bill Collage, I believe it's called. Okay. Um, uh, it's got No, that's, that's the one that I'm about to talk about. But the Spielberg one uh, was called Gods and Kings. And it, um, he's passed on, passed it on to Ang Lee. So okay. I just wanted to mention that, um, that might happen. A, a Moses themed movie directed by Ang Lee. Uh, so what do you think about that? That's a, that's an interesting combination. I think Life of Pi is, um, one of the most openly spiritual movies that I've seen in a long time. Um, and so I think Ang Lee's probably a, a pretty good fit to uh to make a a movie that is at least loosely based on on uh, on a biblical story um so that's a that's an interesting concept is this and maybe i'm about to step on your toes for what you're about to say but is this the i saw that christian bale was potentially yeah, that's what i'm about to, to talk about so okay i wasn't sure if that was the same one there's a there's steven spielberg um was interested in one called gods and kings he's he's now handed that off to angley Okay. Uh, or Ang Lee is interested in it. There's another one, a Moses movie, uh, called Exodus, written by Adam Cooper slash Bill Collag. 
Okay. Um, this is going to be directed by Ridley Scott. Yes. And it stars okay. Christian Bale. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Um, he could be Moses, Christian Bale. Uh, okay. So this – it looks like we're going to get two Moses movies yeah. <laughs> from two great directors. Yeah, um, well, that's another yeah. interesting one. Just I know you and I are both pretty big fans of Prometheus, and Prometheus has a whole lot of uh, religious undertones. Right, yeah, it is interesting. Um, he would go th- that way, the scientific yeah. route, and then go the bi- biblical route. Uh-huh. Just yeah. shows you he's he's a filmmaker that's into broad and great themes of humanity. You know, yeah. regardless of what you believe. So sure, that's uh, it's interesting stuff. I I never know what to make of those those sorts of movies um, because I feel like you almost are setting yourself up for failure because if you go the literal route and try to interpret passion it, of the Christ, yeah, you get passion of the Christ, which for anyone who is, um, who is a Christian or uh, that's a very powerful, uh, impactful, potentially great movie. And if you're not, you, most people hated it. Um, or you go the the direct opposite route and you end up doing an interpretation and that angers the the Christian masses. And so um, that's it. I feel like any movie that you're going to do that is even loosely based on um, some sort of biblical story or a biblical interpretation is is very risky. And that's a that's a tough t- uh, line to toe um, between uh, making it a literal thing and a and a uh, more of a bit. yeah, a fictional bit and more of a, a an overarching story rather than this is how it happened, you know. So that's a, it's interesting to see guys like uh, Ang Lee or Ridley Scott or Spielberg or whoever else that are gonna that are willing to put their. It's not like if this is gonna go if this goes badly that Ridley Scott's career is over, but it's you know you're you're taking a chance for sure by attaching your name to something that automatically has a better than 50-50 chance of of angering at least one group of <laughs> of people. So, that's right. a it's an interesting I I always think this stuff is fascinating. So, it's 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 different. It's certainly not something that you expect to see two huge big name directors that are willing to to take that chance, especially, you know, with the same material at the same general yeah. time. I've always thought that um there's three stories especially in the Old Testament that would make great movies. One being Noah's Ark, uh-huh. two being the Ten Commandments and yep. Moses's exodus uh, from slavery, yeah. or leading the people from slavery, and right. the third being King David and David and Goliath. Yeah, I, if we could get a King David movie, I think that would uh-huh. be incredible. Honestly, yeah. I mean, from a, I mean, <laughs> Charlton Heston's Ten Commandments is one of the great movies of all time. No yeah. one can deny that. So, um, if we can get an epic movie like that. I would be inter- I would be inter- interested and intrigued to yeah. see that um, done right. I don't think this Bible miniseries is going to do it, but budget it's very low budget. You can yeah. tell. So uh, I can see what they're trying to do there, but I feel like if they tried to do that, and it's very well made. I have seen the first uh-huh. of it. It's very well made. I don't know about casting white guys <laughs> uh, for pretty much everything with like English accents or what, right. what, what the hell that's going to how biblically accurate that is. I mean, it yeah. could have been English. You don't know. You know, yeah. <laughs> right. But, um, so yeah, a lot of that stuff's coming up on the pipeline. So right. we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to stay tuned for that and see yeah. how those turn out. Uh, well, that'll be the thing is the, that the Bible miniseries is clearly geared towards the Christian audience. Yeah. Um, any movie, I mean, let's just be, let's be frank. The, 
the Darren Aronofsky Noah movie is not. I would I would yeah. I would go ahead and guess that it's not going to be something that is geared towards um, the devout Christian uh, audience. It will be geared towards making a movie, you know, and making a movie that he feels good about, whether that's a literal or a uh, more fictional, whatever, whatever uh, uh, interpretation he wants to take. It's probably not going to be geared directly towards the same audience that the <laughs> that this Bible miniseries is. So, like I yeah. said, that. Doing that is is you're almost certainly going to get some bad press just starting off just from the the conservative right uh, Christian group. So I feel like the only, the last movies we got and from Hollywood are, around this is Bruce Almighty, Evan Almighty. You know, yeah. So if we yeah. can, I mean, I'm being serious. If we can get a serious like movie about a biblical story that tells. It in the way of the epic nature of it, you know, uh-huh. yeah. which I think we're going to get with Aronofsky. I think it's going to be a great film yeah. um, from what, from the screenshots I've seen and the casting and everything. Um, looking forward to that. Uh, so we'll, we'll have to see, we'll probably do an episode on that. So, yeah. So uh, we'll have to stay tuned for that. Um, uh, more director news. Uh, there has been a project in development for a long, long time. And uh, you might be familiar with it. It's the Sasha Baron Cohen helmed uh, Freddie Mercury biopic. Yeah. You know about this? Sure. Uh, apparently, Sasha Baron Cohen has been trying to get this film made about Freddie Mercury for a long time. Freddie Mercury being the lead singer of the rock band Queen, who tragically right. died of AIDS. Yep. So um, it's very exciting uh, premise. Um, incredible idea. For a film, I think uh, in the in the way that Daniel Day Lewis is Lincoln, I think Freddie Mercury is going to do the same for. I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen's going to do the same for Freddie Mercury. I mean, he looks identical to him to begin with. Yeah. So just wait till they put the buck teeth on him, and it's sure. going to be spot on. So he's been trying to get this movie made for a while, and now the rumors have come out that Tom Hooper uh, might be attached to direct, uh, coming off Les Misérables and The King's Speech. So yeah. thoughts about that? Um, I, this is a, this is another one that this is a risky project to me. Cause I don't know that everybody knows queen. I don't know that. I don't know that Freddie Mercury is such a hot name that we, that the masses are going to go out to see a, a biopic about him. And I kind of feel like Sasha Baron Cohen, while you're completely right, he looks exactly like Freddie Mercury. He's going to, I think he will body that. English actor, yeah. I think a lot of, I know, I know a lot of people who will not see a movie in which, (laughs) in which Borat, you know, is the feature player. Um, I, he's such, he's such a dividing force, um, that that could be a risky, risky move for him. And I don't know, honestly, can't, I don't know what to think of Tom Hooper as a director. Um, yeah. I thought he was – I thought he did a good job with the King's Speech and I I am one of the few I think that stands by the King's Speech. I, it sh- I don't think it should have won Best Picture. That should have gone to Social, Social Network. Network. Um, but I think King's Speech is a very, very good movie um, that does stand up as – you know over time. I don't know that he did a whole lot with that movie but but he certainly didn't do anything to get in the way of it being good either. Um, I thought his direction of Les Mis was horrible, and 
It's appalling that it was uh, he got a nomination for that. Yes, for, uh, in any award that he got a nomination for any awards this year. I mean, it was yeah. really. I don't know anything about directing, and I feel like I could have done close to that good of a job. I mean, it, it was <laughs> it was terrible. It was just ugh, just brutal, brutal directing, um, and definitely got in the way of of that movie being better than or being any better than it could have been. That's not a sentence. Uh, it. His his direction definitely hindered that film, um, so I don't know what we're supposed to think of him as a as a director and whether or not he is a good fit for this material or or not. I I honestly don't know, and I, that's not usually me. I usually have an opinion, right or wrong. I'm, I'm usually pretty opinionated, but I don't know that he. I just don't know what I'm supposed to expect from him from here on out. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, it's an intriguing idea. Um, I, I don't know if it'll be a movie for the masses though. You know, I think it'll be a, an indie pick. It'll be a, um, low budget, um, maybe a 20 to $25 million budget movie, um, that will probably be limited release. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be, um, a tentpole film, you know, and that's the way to go. If they're going to make that movie, that's the way to go. Yeah. Um, cause I just, I just don't know that there's a, and maybe I'm just 100% off base, but I just don't know that there's a huge. There's a lot of audience. potential there for yeah. for a great performance and a great story. Yeah, let's just hope that it works. You know? Right. I mean, personally, I'm I would be way more interested in the oft rumored Jimi Hendrix biopic um, than I am yeah. than I am, or even with a, Andre a Jim- 3000 as Jimi Hendrix. Yes, yeah, Andre 3000. Yeah. Um, I'd be way more interested in that than I am, and I love. I, I very much appreciate what Queen. Uh, they're doing about, they're doing a, an Elton John biopic with Justin Timberlake. You hear about that? <laughs> is it based on his SNL bit? No, it's this, a real thing. Week? <laughs> Elton John handpicked Justin Timberlake to play him. That's pretty good. Movie that's um, details are starting to come out. We'll have to talk about that on another episode. But um, yeah, uh, I'm a big music guy. Uh, sure, tour, I toured in a band for four years all around the world playing music. Uh, LMFAO, so, right? Yeah. We we are called LMFAO, <laughs> and we had that song "Shot Shot 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 yeah. Shot 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 right. Shot Shot Everybody." Just shots. the best writing, really, really the best. Yeah. Uh, no, I was not in that band, uh, thankfully. Um, but um, I'm really interested in these things. Um, I thought like the the one thing that we can compare it to is Oliver Stone's "The Doors," and I thought Val Kilmer was spot on in that movie. Yeah, uh, so. Uh, and that's another thing where you say, well, he looks identical to Jim Morrison to begin with. So yeah, um, I think that's the same thing we have here. But luckily, Oliver Stone's not involved. <laughs> um, one more thing I wanted to mention for movie news, unless you had anything else, nope. um, is big story kind of this week in Hollywood was the Veronica Mars movie. Oh yeah, was funded completely by Kickstarter. And Kickstarter being a website where you go sign up and you put a project on there and people can donate to it to support it and to fund it. So um, Veronica Mars being a TV television show that got canceled um, starring Kristen Bell um, is going to make it to the movies because of a $3 million or $2 million donation that was raised in just under nine hours. Crazy, crazy Um, stuff. Incredible stuff and exciting. And um, what are your thoughts? Have you familiar with Veronica Mars at all? 
I have only watched the pilot and a random episode or two here and there. Um, I liked it, but I do not like anything about high schoolers ever, except for Friday Night Lights. That's about the only show that I've ever really gotten into that was about that age group. And so I, my wife really likes it. I have uh, my brother-in-law is really into it. Um, and I know they're, he's a big listener, so he, he was very excited about, about this and like immediately was posting stuff on Facebook and whatnot. Um, it's, I think it's cool. I, I, you know, having, you know, being a fan of so many properties that did not get their due, like we talked about Firefly a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I can, I, you know, I put myself in the shoes of all the Veronica Mars fans and think, you know, what would it be like if this would have happened with Firefly? four or five years ago before Joss Whedon blew up and turned into the Avengers and all that other stuff. Um, and it's just, it's a very exciting thing. And I, it, I hope that it turns into a good representation of the series and therefore, um, a good representation of what Kickstarter can do. Cause Kickstarter is a great idea. Um, and a, and such a cool, cool concept and a lot of good stuff can come out of it. But if this movie turns into crap, then, um, <laughs> Then it's it. I don't necessarily say it cheapens what Kickstarter's trying to do, but um, it definitely it would not. Obviously, it wouldn't be a great endorsement for that uh, that company or that website. Yeah. So, um, the only other movie that I can think of that I that I know I've seen that was funded by Kickstarter, or at least partially funded by Kickstarter, was the Blue Light Jazz um, really? film that came out last year, and it is horrific. It's just a really one of the the ten worst movies of the year um, for me, and so <laughs> so that wasn't a a great rousing endorsement for uh, for Kickstarter. So obviously, I'm hoping, re- regardless of how I feel about the show, which I just don't know too much about it, um, I hope that it works out well for just for those fans of the show and just from a a it from highlighting that that service uh, standpoint. Yeah. Um- I wanted to mention this because, and I know I wanted to mention it with you, first thing that came to my mind when they said that Veronica Mars was rebooted because of Kickstarter, I was like, when are we getting more Firefly <laughs> Yeah. Um, and so they did interview Josh Whedon about it, and I wanted to read what he said. Sure. <laughs> um, the question was, so what does this mean for Firefly? Josh Whedon's response, that's what everybody wants to know. Uh, yeah, my fourth feeling – my. Fourth feeling when I read about the Veronica Mars Kickstarter campaign was kind of dread because I realized the only thing that will be on everyone's mind right now is uh, the Firefly reunion. I've said repeatedly <laughs> that I would love to make another movie with these guys, and that remains the case. It, but it also remains the case that I am booked up by Marvel for the next three years, and I haven't been able to get Doctor Horrible 2 off the ground because of right. that. So I don't even entertain the notion of entertaining the notion of doing this and won't for a couple of years from now when Nathan is no longer on Castle and I'm no longer on the Tim Hagen of Marvel Universe and making a giant movie and loads of money. Yeah. We might look and see where the market is then, but right now it's a complete non-Kickstarter for me. End yeah. Quote. So there's, um, there's your answer. Um, it's exciting because, I mean – it's one of those scenarios where, I mean, you love a movie and the directors of the movie say, well, if everybody that went and saw the movie donated me a dollar, we can make a sequel. You know? Right. Well, right. now you can literally do that. And um, I think we're going to see 
a lot of reboots because of this, and it's going to be great. Um, hopefully, yeah. they reboot like old TV shows that we love, Celebrity Deathmatch and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, just random yeah. stuff that kid, yeah. pe- that has a huge fan base that people would want to see again, and movies and things like that. Um, so who knows? Maybe Arrested Development will kickstart after they because they're only doing one season on Netflix. They say right. So um, who knows? This is this is exciting stuff. Um, it's kind of a landmark moment in Hollywood. It really is. Uh, It'll, it's going to be an interesting kind of test case for uh, where we're going to go from here um, because that's a that's a huge deal. Kickstarter has always been used for, you know, I need twenty five thousand dollars to make a documentary about some obscure band, you know, things like that. Um, I don't. I mean, I'm not a huge. I don't know what uh, the record amount of uh, of donations is for for Kickstarter, but I would imagine that this is one of the biggest campaigns I've ever done and. Um, if this turns out well and the movie makes money, then this is a potentially groundbreaking thing for, uh, for this is, this is really, this is, this is truly the viewer getting to choose what they, what movies they see. And that's, uh, that's an interesting concept. We'll see how it's very interesting. I wanted to mention one more thing. Um, for those of you who didn't get on the list to San Diego Comic-Con, um, if you weren't on the within the first two minutes on the yep. online sale, which is probably how fast it took to sell out, yeah, uh, don't fret because Dallas Comic Con is happening uh, this May, May seventeenth, eighteenth, and nineteenth in Irving, Texas. Um, nice. Book a flight and come out here because it's a great con. Um, lots of comic book artists are going to be there. Uh, a lot of movie stars, and I'll mention a few now. Sure. Um, one headliner being Captain Kirk himself, William Shatner. What? Will be in attendance, uh, signing autographs, uh, doing pictures and such. Nice. Um, the uh, LeVar Burton from, from The Next Generation. Uh, from Reading Rainbow, dude. Brent, Come on. Yeah. From Brent, Brent Spiner, data, data from Star Trek The Next Generation will be there. Yeah. Um, Brandon Routh from Superman <laughs> Returns uh, nice. will be there uh, hanging out. And one... Very exciting guest that I know Brian will be excited about. <laughs> Captain right. Mal Reynolds himself, Nathan oh, Fillion, oh, oh, oh. in the house nice. at Dallas Comic Con 2013. So uh, if you live close to Texas or Dallas, um, it's probably worth a day trip to come out, uh, take a flight. Um, it's right by the airport at Urban Convention Center. Yeah. Um, so come hang out with us. We'll probably be there covering have you the ever event. Been, have you ever been to this one before? I haven't been to Dallas Comic Con. I went to the Sci-Fi Expo about two months ago, which is basically the winter con. Sure, um, yeah. And it was incredible. Um, I was really impressed by it. Um, they had uh, some of the Walking Dead cast there. Michonne, she was there. Um, yeah. There was two people from Firefly there. Uh, Inara was there. Okay. Um, and I saw a Back to the Future panel with Christopher Lloyd. Leah Thompson Thompson and uh, James Tolkien were there and they did it. It was incredible to sit on the first row and to see them doing a, an hour long Q and a, yeah, it's really cool. One of my favorite franchises. So it's great. I mean, it's just as good as the, as the big con in San Diego. It's not as big of course, yeah, but it's definitely the same atmosphere, tons of costumes, really good time. Um, so we'll be there probably and we'll be hanging out. So come hang out with us. I think you and me and Richard should go, and we should get up to Brandon Routh, and you should come up to get his autograph, obviously. And uh, you should come up with an 8x10 of Christopher Reeve, 
and I'll come up. <laughs> I'll come Henry up Cavill. with one of Henry Cavill and Richard will come Dean up with, with Dean Kane and we'll just demand <laughs> that he sign all of them. Yeah, all three of them. He will be. He uh, will do it. Yeah. And he'll just do it. He'll do it. He. I mean, you know, he. What, what, what can he say back to us? Oh, sorry, I was the worst Superman That's his ever. His whole life I mean, now is going yeah. to cons. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be uh, uh, yeah. To yeah. Try to work off his name for right for right that disgusting portrayal. <laughs> um, so yeah, Poor May seventeenth, eighteenth, nineteenth, twenty thirteen. Make it there. Shout out to Kathy who hooked it up at the Sci Fi Expo, and she'll probably hook it up again this time for Mad About Movies. So stoked about that. Coming up in May. Um, anything else you want to mention? Movie news before we talk about Oz? No, man. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's. Hey, ma'am, fam. Question for you. Do you own a small business or are you a boss? Are you looking to hire awesome people but you just can't find somebody to fill that role? Well, let me tell you about ZipRecruiter.com. With ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to 100 plus job sites all with one click. In fact, over 80% of jobs posted on ZipRecruiter get a qualified candidate in just 24 hours. Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. Right now, you can post your jobs for free on ZipRecruiter by going to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash mad. Thanks to ZipRecruiter for supporting this episode of the Mad About Movies podcast. Hey, what's up, ma'am, fam? Kent here. And yes, if you're hearing from me, you know it's time to talk about Blue Apron. If you haven't tried out Blue Apron by now, what the heck are you even doing? Blue Apron is the number one fresh ingredient and recipe delivery service in the country. They deliver fresh meals straight to your door. All the food is fresh. It's sourced from local farms. And there's no wasted ingredients. I've been a Blue Apron subscriber for a long time now. And they have still, to this day, never let me down. There's tons of variety. Some featured upcoming meals include summer vegetable and egg paninis, soy glazed pork and rice cakes, skillet vegetable chili with cheddar drop biscuits, holy crap, and garlic butter shrimp and corn with green bean salad. So take it from me. Try out Blue Apron now. Go to blueapron.com slash mad. That's blueapron.com slash mad. Get three meals on us for free. Nothing goes better with a movie than dinner. So check out Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash mad. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. Get our Oz on. Great wizard from Kansas. I've waited for you to come and set things right. Me? Did those crows just say we're going to die? All right, Brian. Oz the Great and Powerful. Um... I have resisted talking to you about this until we get on the podcast. I know right. you probably re- – I, I didn't read re- your review on your website because yeah. I wanted to talk about well, it. Well, no one else did either, so it's fine. So, <laughs> well, let's uh, talk about it now. Um, thoughts uh, on Oz the Great and Powerful? Um, all right. I I feel like I have to say I I had a lot of bias against this movie going in. Um from a lot of reasons, uh, number one, I don't think that this movie needed to be made. Um, I don't think that we need a prequel or sequel to The Wizard of Oz. So that's number one. Number two, 
I'm not a huge Wizard of Oz fan. Um, I 100% appreciate its importance in the cinematic landscape. Um, I understand why people love it. It's just not a favorite movie of mine. So, you know, returning to Oz is not the same as returning (laughs) to Middle Earth (laughs) or something like that for me. Oh, I Um, thought you were talking about the movie Return to Oz. No, (laughs) forgot about Return to Oz. That that doesn't even deserve a mention. No, no. Strike that from the record. We did not mention Return to Oz. No, uh, and and Third Strike, I was very much into that. Well, I was much more into this movie when Robert Downey Jr. was going to be the guy. Um, and then it dropped to Jude Law, and I was like, yeah, I'm still pretty interested. And then it went to James Franco, and as I've mentioned before, I don't like James Franco and don't find him very appealing most of the time. So all that to say, I was not excited about uh, the Oz, the Great and Powerful. I'm going to keep calling it the Great and Powerful Oz because I just – I can't – I don't know. I can't get that through my head. Just call it uh, Oz. It's yeah. Oz. Yeah. But add in the fact that it looks exactly like Alice in Wonderland, which I hate. Um, suffice it to say, I was not excited about this movie. Um, and so <laughs> I hated the first 30 minutes of this movie. So oh, okay. Hated it. Um, all, not to the point of walked out, but definitely to the point of I was rolling my eyes and sighing heavily and probably being that annoying guy that you texted you texted me i think five (laughs) minutes into it and said the dialogue in this movie is unbearable yes or something to that effect and i knew what you were talking about because (laughs) i agree with you but i think it pays off uh go ahead it gets it gets much better better. a lot better first third i it's it's a movie that i I think I gave it a B this week on my review. I really don't like a lot of this movie, but as a whole, it's better than I expected that it was going to be. It's certainly <laughs> yes. better than what I thought it was going to be in the first the first act. Um, and so I I gave it a B, and I feel like I feel like the average moviegoer is really going to like this movie. I, I, I definitely felt, and I don't feel like this very often, but I definitely felt like movie snob when I was watching it and picking apart all the things that I didn't like about the movie. Because I generally, when I write a review or when we talk about a movie on, on our podcast, I try to review it from the standpoint of the average moviegoer who maybe only gets to see one or two movies a month. You know what I mean? Um, not like me who I, I go to the movies, generally speaking, we, you know, Kent's the same way. We, yeah. we go to the movies th- two or three times a, a week, a lot of times. And so I, we're going to see, I'm going to see movies from a different standpoint than what, uh, my parents are going to see it as, or, you know, my friends who don't, who have kids and don't get to go to very many movies. So I try to review from that standpoint. And as I was sitting there watching it and picking apart all the flaws, I really did feel like, all right, I'm kind of being a movie, pretentious movie snob because everybody who is with me really enjoyed the movie. And I, I just kind of kept to myself of, I hated this. I hated that. I hated this, you know, and specifically, what did you hate? I'll I'll give my opinion first, but start thinking about the specifics of what Okay. Drove you yeah. crazy. So the the whole just to wrap up my my rant that as a whole, uh, it's a it's to me it's a B, and that's honestly that's about as good as I it's that's far better than I would have believed that I would give this movie coming in. So kudos to Sam Raimi, I guess, for making 
this movie much more enjoyable and much more likable than I thought it was going to be, and certainly much better than I thought it was going to be after the first the first act. Right. Uh, kudos to him. Um, it's funny you say that because that's almost the exact same reaction that I had. <laughs> I coming into the movie, I didn't expect anything really at all. I expected it honestly to suck. Yeah. I expected to walk out being like, well, that was a lame. Uh, I expected it to be like Alice in Wonderland, except worse because Tim Burton wasn't like <laughs> in charge of the trippy visuals. You know, at least you get that with Burton's work. Um, and Sam Raimi hasn't really done anything big like this in a long time. Um, it's a Disney taking over a property that it doesn't really own technically. Yeah. And so I was really nervous that they they weren't going to be able to say anything except the word Oz. Um, and a lot of that surprised me. Like they were able to talk, like say Yellow Brick Road and show yeah. Yellow Brick Road. Like I didn't think that was in the cards at all. And so when the Yellow Brick Road showed up, I, was, I actually smiled and I was like, well, thank you for at least giving us something that we know about and not just um, throwing in like bull crap and saying it's Oz because yeah. it's because it's mysterious and magical. You know, it's mm-hmm. not. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not what the fans want to see. We want to see munchkins and we want to see flying monkeys and we want to see all that. So having said that, I was very surprised at how good this movie was. Um, I'm going to say it. <laughs> um <laughs> Uh, I agree with you. The first bit of it is cheesy, and but it was meant to be cheesy. I think it's meant to be like a 1905 film. You know, it's uh, yeah. it's a black and white four by three movie at the mm. beginning, and it really puts you in that awkward kind of kind of mood, and and it feels like you're watching a television show. But I think all that was on purpose. Um, yeah, and when it when the when it kicks into right when he gets on the hot air balloon. It gets really good. I mean, the CGI, the gr- CGI gets amazing. I don't know if you saw it in 3D, but there's some great 3D effects during the tornado sequence with stuff floating around. And um, I, I, the beginning of the movie was necessary because in the first Wizard of Oz, they had the same thing. It's just like sort of a ho hum, like okay, get yeah. on with it type of thing. You know, it's just introducing characters, showing people's faces, um, so that. Later in the movie, you're like, oh, that was the person from the beginning. Oh, that's his uncle. And so, you know, you get the Zach Braff in the beginning who's yeah. his assistant, and you get the little girl who can't walk, Joey King. Right. And you get the Glinda uh, character, uh, Michelle Williams, in the beginning. Right. And so um, once once he goes gets to Oz, I was pleasantly surprised um, by um, how how he managed to – I felt like he – James Franco's character was in the real world. I mean he's a normal guy living in Kansas or whatever. Yeah. But, and he, he really put – they put him in a magical land. And I really felt like during the film that's what we were getting. We were getting a normal guy in an extraordinary circumstance. You know. Yeah. Um, and um, I kind of disagree with you about James Franco. I think he's I, – I said before he's a brilliant actor. Everyone knows that. Um I think honestly he's kind of playing everybody, you know? <laughs> I agree with that. He, and that's so sort of what drives me crazy of, yeah. is that I know that he is better than what he does. And that yeah. to, on, to me it's it's sort of like the uh it, it's the underachieving athlete, you know? It's the Shaq was like this for a long time in his career where he 
is the most dominant player in the NBA, and yet he rarely asserted his dominance. And it drove me crazy because it's like you could average 30 points a game and 15 rebounds and four blocks, and you could just be the most devastating force in the NBA, but instead you're content to score 22 a night and kind of play defense and then just really pick it up in the crunch time moments or once the playoffs come around or something like that. To me, that's how Franco is. It's it's a, hey, it's 127 hours. This is Oscar material, so I'm going to bring my A game. And he did, and he's great. And then you get – even things like Your Highness don't bother me, but Rise of the Planet of the Apes, he does nothing for me he in that movie. In that, you know? yeah. And, and that's, what, that's what bothers me on Franco, I think. I, I just don't find him appealing um, uh-huh. unless he is – really bringing his his game yeah um and so i I, i'm honestly glad it was franco over jude law i don't think this script is jude law script at all i would agree Um, with that yeah i i think james franco's comic timing is spot on a lot of times um especially in the all's great and powerful and pineapple express yeah hilarious in that movie um plays a guy that you wouldn't he's not even like he's acting like you um you really think he's a stoner, like a drug uh, pot dealer in that movie? Yeah, and it's funny, and he's 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 very funny, and he's a great actor. Um, so, um, I was not expecting this movie to be a comedy, but I really feel like it was a comedy um, in a lot of areas. It was way way funnier. I mean, I saw it in a packed audience. I don't know how you saw it. Yeah, mine was pretty it, packed. There was a lot a lot of jokes that went over very well with with an audience. Um, so, what did you think about the the humor aspect? I thought it was yeah, I thought it was uh it was relatively funny. Um I and I one of the best parts about the movie. And again, I say I'm I'm not a huge fan of of Wizard of Oz just from a favorite movie standpoint, but I thought it had the the tone and the attitude of the Wizard of Oz down pat. And I think that's part of what makes it um successful or somewhat successful is that it it felt like it belonged with the wizard of oz um yeah. in, in turn just the the tone and the fairly lightheartedness of everything um and i i appreciated that i felt like it had the spirit of wizard of oz and that plays out i think in some of the comedy and the little bit of the cheesiness and whatnot um and so yeah i th- I, I was i was pleasantly surprised by the humor, um, and I felt like it was the. I felt like that might be the strongest part of what was otherwise a very weak script, which would be my big one of something we can I can talk about in a bit if you want to get into issues yeah. and complaints and whatnot. Go ahead and go into um, the complaints because I've already given my overall thoughts. So sure. Well, I I thought the and that I did. I texted you in the movie, and I never do that. I never text uh, while I'm watching movie, especially in yeah, a pack. That's what I was, I was so thinking. Frustrated. I was like, why are you texting during? A yeah, movie? Don't you know better. <laughs> Yeah, I never do that, but I did turn my my uh, light down to minimal level on on the phone. So yeah. um, at least I, I I did go that far. So sorry if you were in my theater and you were disturbed by by my texting. But uh, I did notice that you didn't text me the rest of the movie. Yeah, I, that you, you, yeah. You said that, and then you're like, okay, it's not so bad after all. It was just, yeah, it, it, it is. It's a little rough at the beginning. If you can get through um, until it gets to Oz, you're you got it made. It, it, I would it, take it, it a step further and say I hated this movie until. Until he, until he left to start out on the journey to, uh, to kill uh, the Wicked Witch. Um, 
So like even up to the point of when he meets uh, Rachel Weiss's character and he leaves the Emerald City, I hated it. Um, and I felt like so much of the dialogue was as it's a, weak yeah. and uninspired as you could possibly get. I it was I hated the dialogue and I felt like the performances Franco was fine. Um I'll I'll talk more on Mila Kunis in a minute, but uh Rachel Weiss even I felt like was Save spoilers her, for, for what yeah, definitely. With, though, those Especially in the early going, though, her 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 performance was very wooden to me, and and kind of over the. T- I don't know. I just wasn't. I wasn't digging it at all. Once he got on the road with with Finley, the flying monkey, who was my favorite part of the movie by far. I thought I thought Zach Braff, uh, Zach Braff did the voiceover for for the monkey, and it's and his his portion of the film he's also the the funniest part of the film i felt he like he's hilarious yeah like, I, honestly, I the really stuff enjoyed that they character. written for for that character was every line was funny almost yeah it was yeah i agree it was a necessary character i mean yeah. a lot of times a little sidekick like that you're like okay just leave already you're not right. funny like jar jar you know right yeah but this well, is the opposite this is the jar jar you want the one that's funny that audiences want yes and um it it was very, very needed. I don't. I can't imagine enjoying this movie without his, without Finley in it. That's his name in the movie. I totally, one hundred percent agree. Um, once uh, Oz gets on the road with Finley, and then they meet China Girl, who is also great, um, and then end up tracking down uh, Michelle Williams's character. Once we got to that point, I appreciated it more and more, and I felt like it took off from there, and that the second and third act were were very uh, were were good to. Even had some moments of very good. The third um, act specifically, and I'll talk about it, was uh-huh. very well done. Yeah, very. It's um, it paid off at the end. I yeah. was very satisfied with how and very um, excited when the third act came along because I was so um, happy with what was going to happen. So we'll uh-huh. talk about that in a second. But go ahead and keep talking about what you did. No, it, but <laughs> just yeah, no, the, but I. Once it got to that point, I was fine. The other thing that drives me – again, I want to come back and talk about Mila Kunis in a minute. But um, I hate the setup because I'm so tired of seeing fantasy movies that involve – like the key plot point involves someone, in this case Oz, being the chosen one to fulfill a prophecy. prophecy. Yeah. I don't – if it's necessary for the film or the book or the whatever, okay, Harry Potter, totally fine with that. Um, the Matrix, totally worked with that. Um, and so on and so forth. Yeah, Alice it in Wonderland did not, didn't work. Say that again, I'm sorry. Alice in Wonderland? Ugh. That's what um, they say. They said you'd come back. Yes. Frustrating. But as soon as he gets – I mean I'm talking – if you haven't seen the movie, literally, he lands in Oz. He gets out of – no one has spoken. He gets out of the water – and Mila Kunis says, you're the chosen one. You're the embodiment of the prophecy. And I literally – I went, ugh. And I like really made everybody around me angry because it just – it's such a crutch. And it's such, it's such a writing crutch that we always have – oh, it's a fantasy? Well, somebody's got to be the chosen one. I, should, I guess I should have been prepared for that coming in. But to me, there was no indication that that – there's no reason for that to be – part of the story it's just lazy we could have especially when you already know that he does yes. become the chosen one yes <laughs> you it's know totally... it's a prequel it's yeah. not like 
oh, well, let's stay tuned till the end of the movie to see if he fulfills the destiny. Right. He right. does fulfill the destiny. The audience yeah. knows that already. Yeah. So to me, I I was really frustrated by that. And so that probably led to some of my my uh anger towards the movie leading up to, you know, really started getting going, but I just I'm not impressed with the script. Um the dialogue again was bad and I really really dislike using the, the bit of of the prophecy when it doesn't need to happen and i really felt like this was one that that definitely didn't it didn't need to be part of it so um so those are my big complaints uh other than what then uh, I'll, I'll talk about what i liked and then you okay can, go for yeah. it um I, like i said i liked the fact that it was funny but um I like the unpredictableness of it. Uh, spoilers coming up right now for Oz the Great and Powerful from now on. Uh, so if you don't want to be spoiled, go see the movie. Uh, yeah. Uh, spoilers coming. I like the unpredictableness of it because going in and up until I would say midway through the movie, I thought that Rachel Weiss's character was going to become the Wicked Witch of the West. Uh-huh. Didn't, didn't happen. And I was right. kind of shocked by that, to be honest. Were you? I think I would have been. I had seen a tweet a couple of days before I saw the movie in which somebody, it wasn't a spoiler. It was somebody who hadn't seen the movie yet. They said, uh, whoever, I wish I could remember who this person was. Somebody tweeted something about, I bet you, you know, I bet you a hundred dollars that Mila Kunis is, turns out to be the wicked witch. And at that point, as soon as they said that, I thought, Oh, you know what? I think, I think I bet you're right. I bet that, that that's, uh, it was disappointing, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. It was very disappointing because I had even seen pictures of the Wicked Witch, press shots. Uh-huh. Yeah. Looked nothing like Mila Kunis. Looks nothing like her at all, yeah. yeah. <laughs> very, very misleading and very good job of them keeping that a secret because yeah. it shocked me. Um, honestly, the way they set up um, Rachel Weisz's character, and within a minute, she's wearing all black. She's in yeah. the lace. She's in the Wicked Witch outfit almost. Right. So you're right. like, well, that's obviously going to be her. Right. But it doesn't turn out that way, and it was cool. I thought it was cool the way they did it and the way they – Explain things. I mean, I feel like Sam Raimi, especially with Spider-Man, he did a good job of centering it in reality. Mm-hmm. Um, that being the physics of Spider-Man swinging, um, you feel like that he really did the research on what it would really be like to swing that high, what it would look like, things like that. And Doctor Octopus, like what it would really be like to have real metal tentacles that were actually working on your back, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, so I feel like they took a lot of the stuff from the original Wizard of Oz, tried to explain it with, um, with reality. Um, no, most notably the third act, when you find out that um, James Franco's character Oz is going to kill the Wicked Witch or destroy her sister yeah. um, by tricking them, mm-hmm. not by doing some witchcraft, by right. literally paying a prank. And yeah. when I found that out, I was so happy. I was like, this is going to turn into something awesome. Totally, uh, yeah. I really like that gonna, part as this well. This is yeah. going to become like a Home Alone, like uh-huh. – um, <laughs> yeah. You Skyfall. know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like a like nostalgic um, everybody teaming up together. Uh, sure. Like even in Hook, uh, I could mention that. Yeah, um, where they, that's a good comparison. Where, yeah. the, where the Lost Boys take on Captain Hook, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and it paid off in every single way, the way that – um, he uh, Oz talks about the Wizard of Men- Menlo Park, Thomas Edison. You know, being his right. idol, and right. how he uses Thomas Edison's inventions in his show and in his act to fool people. 
most right. notably the um, projector that he yeah. has them build and projects his face onto Smoke, um, explaining the whole Wizard of Oz's face in the Wizard right. of Oz. You know, right. when they walk, when Dorothy walks in the palace and sees his face. Yeah. And that's but a very satisfying that's, moment. That's too. a very, very satisfying moment for a moviegoer, for somebody who's right. a fan of the others. You're like, oh, now I know why and how right. Oz did all this in the first place, in the first movie. You know what I mean? Yeah. It gave some credibility to to it, and that's what I wanted from this movie. I wanted it to set up not a new franchise, but kind of breathe a little bit of life into uh, Wizard of Oz. I mean, it's a, the movie was made in 1939. You know, it's not sure. getting any newer. Um, I wanted it to explain some of the stuff that we saw in in The Wizard of Oz, and I felt like, especially from Oz's perspective, it totally, totally delivers on that standpoint. Yeah. Um, thoughts on that? Yeah, I would agree with that. All, all the things that you mentioned were the things that I enjoyed about the movie. It's also very visually appealing, um, much more so, uh, in my opinion, than Alice in Wonderland was. Um, I I kind of hated the... The set design, whether it was a real set or CGI, doesn't really matter. The set design and the visuals of Alice in Wonderland were very ugly to me, and I didn't, I did not like them. This was a lot prettier than. Yeah, than it looks, Alice it looks great. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, the the things you mentioned were 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 very appealing. I love, I I very much enjoyed the uh, the con man aspect of Oz's character, the the Oz character and the way that he used that, um, as the film comes to its conclusion. Um, as you mentioned, like I said earlier, the Finley, the, the monkey was great. The China doll was also really good. Those are my two favorite by far the, the, the characters that I enjoyed the most out of the movie, uh, I agree Finley that, and, yeah. and the China girl. Um, and, uh, and Michelle Williams, I thought was, was pretty solid too. Um, so yeah, there there were definitely things to like about it, and I was I came away very impressed with Sam Raimi's direction um, and, and the way that he I kind of playing off what you said. I liked the way that he almost paid homage to The Wizard of Oz while at the same time delving a little bit deeper than where that movie went, or at least explaining some of the things that happened in that movie. Um, that was a that was a good way to go, and it was an a step that I think a lot of people miss, a lot of directors miss when they do this sort of prequel remake reboot, uh, type thing, the, the phenomenon, if you will, <laughs> that is kind of taken over right. Hollywood. I, I feel like a lot of times we either get stuck in paying homage to the point of, we don't create anything new or we try so hard to create new that we disrespect what came before. You know what I mean? And, um, yeah. and from that standpoint, he didn't, uh, Ramey did a great job of of finding the right uh, balance between those two things and and bringing that uh, to life. I agree with that. Um, Sam Ramey did a magnificent job on this uh, film with what he was given, for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, I like you said. I like how it paid respect to the old movie without tarnishing its reputation, mm-hmm. not trying to erase anything it did, but simply pay honor to it. Really. Right, and I I like the overall. I mean, the overall theme of this movie is the same as the original. You know, even even um, Oz says it in Oz the Great and Powerful. Um, he's like, it's not about. I don't know if he says it this word for word, but to some effect, he says it's not about um, actually doing it. It's about believing it. You know, it's right? About, if you see somebody 
doing something incredible, you believe it's magic, whether it's magic or not. Do you know right. what I mean? Right. It's about tricking. It's about what, if you believe it, it's true. It, uh, that's, uh, uh, it's in the words of George Costanza, it's not a lie <laughs> if you believe it. Yeah. So, I mean, in a world where people are, are sneaking into white house dinners by just walking in the doors, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, act like you belong and nobody will question you. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, that's the yeah. overall theme I got from this. Sure. Um, uh, sure. From this movie. Uh, any th- other thoughts overall in all is great and powerful? <laughs> yeah. I want to, I want to ask you and then I'll, I'll, I'll share my thought. How did you feel about, about Mila Kunis in this movie? And, and what do we think of her? What do we think of her overall? Cause I, I, overall, have, a, I have a pretty strong opinion, but I, I want to hear what, what you have to say. I think she is obviously capable of good work. Um, huh. she's shown us that in black Swan. Yeah. Um, most notably, um, she. I was shocked, honestly. Like I said, when she became the Wicked Witch of the West, couldn't believe she would even accept that role. Yeah, to be honest, a villain, you know. Right. Um, she um, kind of kind of annoys me a little bit. She's obviously beautiful. Yeah. I don't know. She picks the right movies all the time. Um, she's kind of redundant seeing her on TV every ten seconds with that '70s show and Family Guy. Being yeah. on every rerun on every channel, but um, one thing that confused me was why was Mila Kunis's character had an American accent, but her sister had an English accent. Yeah, that's a good. <laughs> yeah, that's and a whole other she thing. Does. Yeah, and you yeah. you didn't even probably notice it, but it was the yeah. first thing I noticed. I was like, how are they sisters if they're from two different countries? Right. Uh, yeah. And so, um, overall thoughts on Mila Kunis is she's. Okay, she has potential, but she to me she's like Natalie Portman. I mean, she's has her moments, but overall she's just a average female actress. What are your thoughts? Okay. I I think she was very good in Black Swan. I I very much liked her in like Forgetting Sarah Marshall. Um she was pretty good in Ted. She's good in comedic roles and then this random and then randomly Black Swan. She's very good you in that close too. your eyes though and you get Meg Griffin. That's what I can't get out yeah, of my head. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> I thought that she was really, really bad in this movie. And totally I, I I, will say this. She was not given anything to work with from the script. Um, her dialogue is by far the worst in the movie. And that one scene, the introduction, the scene where Oz comes to Oz and yes. she, oh my gosh. she talks to him and then they have the little campfire thing. Yes. That brutal. was unbearable. That was, oh, it was so bad. It was so bad. And, and, uh, so that's not all her fault, you know, but I felt like in the first half of the movie, everything she did was, was just so, so wooden and almost monotone, you know, I mean, just, there was just nothing there. And she was overplaying the, um, naive young girl thing. So, so hard. And then she turned into the Wicked Witch, and it was so over the top and so almost ridiculous. And I, I really did not like her her performance. I think that she might have been worth like if you'd put somebody in the role who it's not again, it's not all her fault. If her part had been written better, and if she if somebody in her shoes had given a better performance, I might have gone up to a B plus or an A minus. I mean, I I. She really dragged the movie down for me. Um, and I, as somebody who, I, I mean, I like her, 
in gen- like as a person, she seems like a cool person and I know that she is capable of doing good things. But this is certainly not the first time that I've seen her in a role where I felt like she was completely overmatched by the situation and or was not import not worth she being wasn't in ca- the movie. It wasn't very good casting with her on. I agree. Was, yeah. She felt felt kind of missed she felt kinda of out of place. Uncomfortable, yeah. like you said. Um and but you can't blame her for taking the role. I mean No, no, no. I don't you blame get offered her for the taking role, the role. Of, you know. Yeah. I I I if I feel like Ramey made a or whoever cast her made a made a poor choice in doing that and I man they cast her solely for her star power, not because she belonged in the movie. So yeah. You know and I, mean? I man, she drove me crazy. I, I was I I was really, really disappointed in how how bad she was. So I I don't know what that means for her moving forward. It's not like if she's in a movie I'm not gonna see it, but I'm looking at her IMDB right now and I feel like since man, almost everything that she's been in outside of Family Guy and that seventies show and whatnot, I could honestly take it or leave it as far as the movie goes the and especially as far as Black as she Swan, goes. honestly. Black Swan. Yeah. I really like Book of Eli, which I know in all that's kind of a random movie. Um yeah. but she her character I don't know if you've seen that movie or not, but her her character in that movie is completely worthless. There is absolutely no reason for, for her <laughs> yeah. character to be in the movie. It's terrible. Um so anyway, sorry if see. Mila's listening. I, I really like you in person. I just man, I need you to do something better than this because man, she was bad. What does she have coming up? Uh Jupiter Ascending, it says. Oh, Wachowskis. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. A Wachowskis movie with Channing Tatum and Mila right. Kunis. So we'll see that uh, about that. Yeah. I'm sure that'll be another Cloud Atlas type. <laughs> yeah. Um, which we are are reviewing, Brian. <laughs> this May when it's released on Blu-ray and DVD. Sure. sure. Um, any other thoughts on All is Great and Powerful? No, that's all I've got. I've, I've offended Mila Kunis, so I feel like I've done my job. Yeah. Well, I think the overall thoughts on this movie is – and pretty much everyone I've spoken to about it has said it was better than I had expected. Yeah. And I think that's what you can expect. Um, expect it to be a – take your kids to it. It's definitely a fun family movie. Um, it's definitely uh, – there's some adult humor in there, but it's over kids' uh-huh. heads. Yeah. Like the whole uh, – why didn't you knock? There's a sock on the door. We're yeah, reversing. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And stuff like that. And the guy in the back of the, the carnival drinking whiskey and right. stuff like that. Like small little stuff, but nothing that's going to offend nothing really. Gonna, nothing yeah. inappropriate. It's a fun – I would say you can definitely do a lot worse for a, in a family oh, yeah. movie than this for sure. Yeah. You're definitely And right. it, it honestly makes me excited that Disney's helming Star Wars. I mean they have good taste. I mean if they can turn a mediocre, it, actually god-awful script into this <laughs> – yeah. Imagine what J.J. Abrams can do with Star Wars. You know what right. I mean? And right. and with with the, that company. All right, Brian, go ahead with weekly recommends. All right. Uh, Keep it short s- this time. All right. Uh, I'm, I've been swamped lately. Haven't had much time to watch anything uh, new. So I'm going to go old school here. Um, my sister-in-law was in town this last week. We found out she had never seen the 80s classic Top Gun. Neither have so, I. Oh, so dude. anyone that wants to unfollow me on Twitter... Uh, Now's the time. You are missing out, dude. And um, like any '80s movie, I think Top Gun. That's not like Star Wars or Raiders of the Lost Ark. I feel the need 
the need, the need for, for speed. speed. I know that one. Yeah. So that's well, you're much halfway the movie, there, right? Um, <laughs> no, uh, it, almost any '80s movie. I feel like if you didn't see it either in the '80s or in your young formative years, as I did, you know, I wasn't. It that came out in '86. I was three, so I was born in '87. So I there you go. Yeah, but I saw so. it when I was in, you know, probably a freshman in high school or something like that, and it turned into a staple with, amongst my group of friends. I mean, we watched it like once a month. Um, like any '80s movie, if you didn't see it back then, you're not. You're probably not going to appreciate it as much as I do, or anyone who's you know has has seen it a half dozen or, or a dozen times. Um, but I was reminded of a Tom Cruise is great. I love Tom Cruise, and we're we're gonna have to do a full pod on Tom Cruise at some point because Richard's in the same boat as Rants me. and raves, Tom Cruise. Yep. Yes, uh, we both have a great affinity for for Tom Cruise pictures. Um, he's great. This is one of Val Kilmer's best. Uh, it's very cheesy, but one of his better performances, um, and just so Val Kilmer. Um, watching that, it just it almost makes you sad just thinking about where he's gonna go in the next twenty five years. Um, even Anthony <laughs> Edwards is really good, um, but the thing that sets it apart from so many other eighties movies are the the action sequences. I feel like a lot of eighties movies that aren't Die Hard or uh, Star Wars or Raiders or one of those. The, the action sequences look terrible now, um, looking back at them. This was, I think, and I, I may be wrong here, but I believe this was the first movie that the Navy ever allowed, um, ever allowed to the production company to use legit Navy equipment. And so all of the, uh, all the, the, the action sequences obviously take place in the air, and they're all done for real. I mean, they're all... Uh, Real pilots piloting, you know, real F-16s, and uh, and going through these these training games and whatnot, and so it is incredibly realistic and lifelike. And so it's you know the movie's 25 years old, but it's still it's it could have been shot yesterday. I mean, and it, it maybe even better than that because I think nowadays they just CGI it and it turns into stealth, you know, or something like that. But um, the the action and the the in air sequences look incredible still to this day um and it's something that i'd kind of forgotten over the years and it's also got you know it's got a lot of great catchphrases um a lot of 80s sentimentality and reusing of the same four songs over and over again um so there's definitely a cheesy factor to it but um anyway i love top gun if you haven't seen top gun in a while definitely time to check that out again if you've never seen top gun it's on Netflix. Give it a shot, even if it's not one that you end up loving. Um, we had three or four people in the room that had never seen before, seen it before, and I don't think any of them came away with the newfound fascination of with with the movie. But um, it's definitely one that I feel like people need to see, and uh, just because it's such a, it's kind of a pop culture icon in a way. So, well, uh, check it out. 3D version is out, so now I have to see it. There you go. There you uh, go. I'll promise I'll see it uh, probably before the next podcast. So one of these days just bring it up and yeah. ask, ask my thoughts on it sounds it's, good it's what i need to see yeah uh, my weekly recommend this week is a tv series it is on netflix um it's a tv series slash documentary slash movies uh, it's called espn's 30 for 30 ah, yeah and i'm we might have mentioned it before on the podcast i think we mentioned the keith olbermann being on one of the on one of the shorts but yeah. um this is a series that started in '09 as a um, celebrating 30 years of ESPN. Yep. And um, 
it originally was supposed to be 30 films by 30 different filmmakers. Mm-hmm. So they did that, and it got such a good response that they started sort of continued to make them, and it's great. Um, all the um, subjects are, are handpicked by Bill Simmons of Grantland fame yep. and ESPN fame. Um, it's just really, really well done. I the, for the past few, they are all on Netflix. Uh, uh-huh. I think except for the one that aired this week. I think pretty much they're all on except for that one. Yep. Um, I think there's got to be over fifty of them by now. Um, and they cover every aspect of sports pretty much. Every sport they cover: track and field, football, hockey, baseball, basketball, Olympics, everything you can think of in sports. There's probably a thirty for thirty on it. And it's just incredible, incredible filmmaking. Um, I feel like if this was individual movies, these would be Oscar-worthy documentaries on their, yeah. on their, by themselves. Um, most notably, it's not a thirty for thirty, but it is a ESPN Films. It's called Catching Hell: The Story yeah. of Steve Bartman. Um, it was the play back in the World's two thousand three, I believe, World Series. It was the the. The uh, NLCS. It was NLCS. NLCS. Yeah, it was the, yeah. Between the Cubs and Marlins. Yeah. And um, the guy, most of you who are sports fans know that a fan in, interfered with a controversial foul ball and subsequently led to the Cubs losing the game, ultimately yep. losing the series. And they had never, hadn't been to the World Series in however many years, right. 80 years or something. So um, it, it's, they're just, they're, they're movies about, the impact of sports on society, um, how great these moments are in sports that, that happen randomly. Um, and every game is unpredictable. You don't know if you're going to witness history with every, I mean, I'm a sports major. I mean, I direct sports games for TV. Um, uh-huh. uh, that's what I do for work. So, um, I am super into sports. Um, and anytime we can go behind the scenes and sort of get some of these stories, it's great. There's one about the Fab Five, the Michigan Fab Five that I just yeah. watched. There's one about the USFL yeah, uh, that's from the one, 1980s yeah. called Small Potatoes. You should check that one out. There's one yeah. that I watched called Going Big. It's mm-hmm. about um, Sam Bowie, who was picked ahead of Michael Jordan in the draft, yep. who ended up being getting hurt and being a complete uh, – not bust, but just not panning out. Yeah. And just stories like that. There's one about Wayne Gretzky when he got traded from on, from Edmonton to L.A. Just great, great documentaries. If you're a sports fan, which I'm sure you are, um, everyone in America likes sports. Check out 30 for 30. Buy yeah. the Blu-rays. It's honestly – it's worth it. Every yeah. – it's – one of these movies is worth the price of the Blu-ray, and you get they're, 30 of yeah. them. So. They're excellent. And even if you're not a sports fan, uh, watch them. My wife's not a big – not a sports fan at all, and we've watched – she's probably watched 20 or maybe more of these. I'll with, watch, yeah, I'll watch any um, of them, even if I have never heard of the, the story. Yeah, you know? they're excellent. And that's – I think that's part of – that's maybe the best part is that they – they didn't pick the most obvious stories to do uh, to do these things over. It's not like they, it's not like everything is a you know, and it's not, and they're not broad either. That's the other thing. All almost all of them are very Personal. micro and very. It's just going to be a, not just about. We're not going to do a, a documentary about Wayne Gretzky. We're going to do a documentary about Wayne Gretzky getting traded from Vancouver to Los Angeles. Edmonton. Um, and yeah, Edmonton to Los Angeles. Um, and that's and it, so it's it's a much more fascinating uh, concept. 
Um, you're totally right. Those are all great. I have all the the original 30 on DVD. Yeah. Um, and then I've seen, I think I've seen all of them except for the Bo Jackson one because my DVR cut out. But I did you see the see other day. You haven't seen that? You I haven't seen it, called, but I saw just it just added it this week. Yeah, it's that Netflix. it got added, so it, it's it's on my queue. So I may queue that, that up. That one is amazing. It's, it's called You Don't um, Know Bo. Yeah, yeah. My two favorites, just real quick. I know we got to get out of here. My yeah. the the two that I really like, uh, the one called the the Guru of Go, which okay. was about the Loyola Marymount player who uh-huh. who died, um, is fascinating and heartbreaking. Um, and I thought the one on Magic Johnson's uh, HIV announcement. Which I think is called the announcement yeah. is is spectacular television um, and is man so so good and so strong <laughs> excuse me and so good uh, to watch even if you're not a sports fan it just uh, matters pop culturally as yeah. well as sports wise so well, my favorite one that I'll mention besides Wayne Gretzky is called Jordan rides the bus yeah about Michael Jordan quitting basketball to become a professional baseball player yeah and no that's not a fiction. Right. Uh, that's not just the first half of Space Jam. No, that is right. – it really happened in the 90s, and it was in, incredible uh, story. Yeah. Um, so the fact that they documented it is great, and it's a great documentary. So check out 30 for 30. Uh, buy it, download it. Um, check it out ASAP. Anything yep. else you want to mention today on the podcast, Brian, before we get out of here? No, man. Uh you can uh, find – if you're interested in following my work, you can find my piece – my uh, art pe- art. Really? Art? Goodness gracious. My movie <laughs> reviews and stuff. And I guess art pieces as well. Maybe I'll get to that yeah, eventually. It's poetry. Uh, yeah. On the soapboxoffice.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at bgill12. You could follow me on Twitter at Kent Garrison. You can email the show at madaboutmoviespodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe. Tell your friends. Until next week, we will see you at the cinema. Goodbye. See ya.